Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of We're Gonna Need a Bigger Show. I am joined today for our first kind of on-air interview together with my co-host, Matt, general audience, Miles. How's it going, guys? Uh, Matt and I have been covering the Fantasia Film Festival, and we got to see some really incredible films. My favorite film of the festival was Fashionista, and we are lucky enough to be joined by the film's director, Simon Rumley. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I obviously, I really loved the film. Uh, I thought it was, I mean, really powerful. Um, but I kind of want to, before we jump into it, I kind of want to talk about just a little bit about your early life and, um, you know, what your interest in films and filmmaking was like growing up. Yeah. Well, um, I, I guess I, I remember going to the cinema probably, I think when I was about four or something, I, th- I think, well, actually, I remember going and, and not getting in to see the aristocrats, I think, with my mum and, <laughs> and one of her friends. Um, and I, I remember going to the cinema a few times with my dad's secretary. Make of that what you will. And to see Robin Hood was, was one. I, I think he, he basically, you know, um, would... would Ditch me off with, with her. She'd get a, an afternoon off, and I think everyone was happy, really. But I, I remember seeing Robin with her. Then I used to go to, to the cinema with my granny, see, and I, I remember seeing the, some of the Herbie films, the Pink sure. Panthers were favorites of ours. Hell yeah. And I, I, I guess in my teenage years, I, I guess I remember seeing, um, what do I remember seeing? Um, you know, I guess it was John Hughes films at the time, you know, um, Breakfast Club was an obvious one, Pretty in Pink, um, and 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 then and then Blade Runner I remember seeing and uh, Stand by Me and I, you know so I've always loved the cinema and and then and then of course around that time was was the video boom so I was watching f- films at home like like The Exorcist and Taxi Driver when I was you know 13 and stuff when when back 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 then you know even though it was an 18 film no one really cared how old you were sure. my, my math teacher at school was. Um, I, th- I think he, mu- I guess I must have been actually about 11 or something, um, and, and he showed us the zombie flesh eaters and a couple of other, you know, video nasties, which I, I'm pretty sure now he'd probably go to prison for. But right. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the time, we, we and they actually had the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, oh and at the time, <laughs> uh, which is quite crazy in retrospect, sure, but um, right. I've always liked these films, and, and, and um and then I, I guess, you know, I went to university to study law when I was 18. Wasn't sure really what I wanted to become wow. at that point in, in my life, but figured, you know, if nothing else, law degree would be something to study that I hadn't studied before. Sure. Um, and then I woke up, literally, I woke up one morning when I, I think I was either 19, probably 20, thought, hey, I think I'd like to become a film director. Um, and, and which is kind of weird because, you know, I, I knew no one in the films. I, I was never even that career conscious to be quite honest um my, my parents knew no one in the industry so so it was it was like it was tantamount to be saying you know saying back then yeah i, I want to be a astronaut or, or <laughs> um but but you know that that's so that that was in my mind so i thought well you know i'll finish university see how i feel at the end of it um i, I shot a couple of short films on on, on the university super eight camera with, with no dialogue but with with the semblance of a story and, and from then, you know, I, I kind of went onwards and upwards. And a few years later, I, I got a job as a runner um, in, in a post-production facility and, and was, was making more ambitious short films with, with, with dialogue. And, and, and I, I guess at that point, I, I was like, you know, 
um, wanted to make my first, I had ambitions to make my first feature by the time I was 30. And, and that, that was around the time when, I guess, you know, Spike Lee, um, Jim John Moosh, um, Richard Linklater had just done um, Slacker. So, you know, Kevin Smith had just done Clark. So right. the, the, these these are guys who are a little bit older than me, but but only by, you know, five or six years. So, so um, they, they were all, even though I didn't, didn't necessarily love all their films, you know, Robert Rodriguez being another, you know, but, but I, I was inspired by, by what they'd done. Um, and, and, and it kind of, you know, so I did my first film, Strong Language. I think mean, I started it in, in 90, I don't know, maybe 96, and, and, and it came out in 2000, I think. Um, and, and then, and, and yeah, yeah and, and then it went from there, really. Okay. Um, um, so just, I mean, just to kind of backtrack just a little bit, I mean, you say you woke up one day, you know, just kind of with this desire to be in film. I mean, were you writing as, as you know, while you were growing up or were you like participating in short films with kids, you know, because so many genre filmmakers, especially were making, you know, little shorts with their friends and things like that. I mean, was that a part of yeah. your growing up at all? No, 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 not at all. That, that's what's kind of quite weird about the whole thing already. I, I mean, I, 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 get, I was writing poems. That was, you know, I was... <laughs> That was that was as, as artistic as I got, which you know I, I guess is still you know being a writer and stuff. And I was I was writing school newspaper and actually the, the university magazine. And, and actually when I left university, I, I I wrote an unpublished novel. So at, at that point, you know I, I was I suppose I was you know definitely into storytelling. And, and I, I I think at that point I I could have gone down the novel writing um, route if if you know if, if I wanted to, but. I, I tried that and I, I I finished the thing and it remains unpublished and I, I didn't get a bad response actually from from publishers but it, it's a very solitary um, solitary you know job for want of a better word or solitary solitary pursuit sure. and and at, at that point I, I I felt that spending you know too much was probably not such a great idea and and it, and it seemed kind of more intangible already. So um so in the end I thought yeah fuck it I'll you know film making as one out. But yeah no so I never I never really did do all that all that kind of stuff with friends. I mean, well I mean I, I did but I, I started it when I was eighteen so it, it wasn't like you know, some filmmakers you know you hear that they're doing it when they're eight uh, or, or, or you think or, you'll uh, ever go back to writing novels or anything like that? Any interest in that? Yeah I, I do. Funny enough well. Um, after Johnny Frank doing Johnny Frank Garrett, which was, wasn't the, the best experience of my life, shall sure. we say, um, I I was actually quite close to giving up filmmaking, and I was thinking, but I, you know, I'm a storyteller, and and, and I've always harbored ambition to to do some more novel writing. So I was thinking at that point, fuck it, I'll give up films and start novel writing. As it happened. Um, another film, Crowhurst, came along, and I, I went on and did that. But um, yeah, th there's one story in, in, in particular um, w which I, I'm still very keen to do, um, sure. which, which uh, probably would be better as a novel than a than a film. So you know, I, I'm yeah, it's it's definitely there in the. It's not even in the back of my mind. It's, it's kind of at the, the the middle of my mind. So it, it well, when I kind of you know, even when I start getting a bit less busy again, then maybe. Maybe rather than rushing into another script, I, I, I might just try try my hand at doing an, an, another novel. Um, so, w when you you know when you're in in college and you, and you start to think about um, you know, uh, well, I want to be a, a film director, and you you know you mentioned a few directors. Was this also about the time that you 
uh, start to check out, check out the films of Nicholas Rogue? Um, do, do you know what? Probably before that, actually. I mean, it's okay. sort of kind of weird because um, to me because I, I don't necessarily remember when I saw his the, you know, the first film by him, um, but I, I have a feeling it was Don't Look Now and. And in my in my when I was eighteen, my um, that that summer I, I was friends with a girl called Cressida, who you know was quite a girlfriend, but you know we we, we kind of more or less were, but not quite kind of thing. Sure. And, and um, she lived in in London when I lived outside London, and I, I would go and visit her every so often. And, and and near her there was a cinema called Electric, which is in, in Notting Hill, and, and they they used to do um, Nicholas Rowe. Um, double bills, um, bad timing. I remember being one of them, and performance being another. And 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 I, I and, and they also used to do you know more kind of midnight movies like you know, um, uh, David Lynch films, and, and I, I and Blue Velvet being one. I remember, and and, and I, I we, we we used to go to those, but I was always really bad, and I'm still not great, and because I, I basically I would have like you know four or five pints. Um, <laughs> I would go and watch it and be really excited. At some point, I'd wake up and go, what, what, what's, what's happened? And it's like, the film would finish. Um, <laughs> which is always like, and then I'd be like, uh, okay, I've got to go and see it again and pretty much do the same thing. So, um, but, but, but yeah, no, so here's someone, but so I'm not sure, don't look now, whether I, I can't remember whether I watched it at home on video or whether it actually was a cinema, but I, I do remember that, that very visceral reaction to the, you know, the, the reveal of the, you know, of, of the of the, the person in with the red coat. Sure, um, sure. So yeah, I, I think that was probably probably my most my, my, my first experience with them. And again, at some point, you know, performance, and at some point, um, man who fell to earth as well. Being being the three, I think the, the three obvious. Well, well, the, the three first ones for me. And bad timing. Even though I'd seen it, I, I, I to be honest, I it was only in in later years when I. When I was sober, when I, I watched it quite a long, long, long time later, because it was actually banned in the UK for about 20 years. Or, well, wow. it, was, it was banned and then didn't come out for literally 20 years. And the final I saw it, I was like, holy fuck. Um, <laughs> and, and then and performance suddenly, you know, when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, that, that was very much, you know, uh, along with Taxi Driver and The Warriors and The Wanderers and actually Stand By Me and a few other films, you know, that was, that was one of my favorite films where I watched, you know, a reasonable amount of times. Sure. Um, so yeah well kind of uh, moving forward uh, my first exposure to your work was r- Red, White and Blue and I just remember being really affected by the film and uh, just thinking that you know it was a voice that I hadn't really heard before um, yeah. a, an unsettling voice but one that you know definitely I mean it sticks with you um, yeah. and I feel like I bring it up because I feel like you know there's definite elements there that lead us up to Fashionista um, but how did Austin come in your periphery and uh, to the same token, how did Amanda Fuller, you know, uh, become part of your repertoire? Sure. Well, um, Austin happened because of my film *The Living and the Dead*, mm-hmm. and um, and we premiered it in in Rotterdam in 2006, and we, we, we did a reasonable amount of festivals. And I, I always always felt that you know we, we I think we did Chile and well Santiago and Chile, Buenos Aires and, and Argentina and. You know, a few, few European festivals, and and and, I, and the response is always, you know, in, interested, but slightly like, what the fuck is this? And, and I, I, I always felt there was going to be some somewhere where where it really, you know, took off, and I and, and and I had a feeling that it was going to be in, 
in in this festival in in America, which ended up being a fantastic fest. And and so I, I went there, and, and Tim, I think it was the second, I think it was the second year, and Tim Tim League read a, um, a review of it in Intercore News, and he got in touch to me and said, "Do you want to, you know, I'd love to see a film." So I sent it to him. He loved it, so he, he invited me out. So I ended up staying with him and his wife Carrie in their house, and, and then. And then the, the, the film ended up winning all, all you know, the best film, best director, and best actor awards. I think I won five in all, um, and you know had an amazing time. And, and it was back when you know Fantastic Festival was a bit smaller, and it felt like you, you kind of knew everyone, which of course you didn't. Um, but you know, and Darren Aronofsky was there, and he he, he high fived me when I went up to collect my award. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I was very happy about, and and um, and so yeah, so so from there, um, you know, carried on the festival circuit, and on on the festival circuit, when you meet people, you know, especially especially they've got films or, or programmers, you, you tend to see them again and again. So with with Tim, especially, I, I think we 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 ended we ended up in Korea together in Bouchon. I think we ended up in another festival, um, and and then I remember being in Cannes together, and 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 this. Point, I, I considered us friends. I mean, I, I felt we we're friends, you know, from the beginning already. But you know, and, and so I just said to him, like, you know, I've I've been thinking about um, I, I want to make a film in America. Um, I, I've got a vague idea for it. Um, you know, if I shot it in Austin, you know, would you be interested in exec producing it? And he said, oh, I, I'm not going to give you any money. And I said, <laughs> no, that's fine. You know, I, I don't need your money. It's, it's more like having someone. Who who I can trust, who I can believe in, who is like you know, a, a local source of, of knowledge, who, sure. who I can go to if we're in, in you know if we need help. And he said, yeah, no, of course, you know, it'll, it'll be my pleasure, essentially. So I was like, great. Um, and and then I guess later that year, I, um, which would have been 2008, um, I, I wrote Red, White, and Blue um, from my you know, experience of. Of Austin for that essentially one week at Fantastic Fest, um, and then got in touch with him again later. Well, I guess early 2000, 2009, and said, "Hey, by the way, I've written this. You know, are you still up for it?" So he said, "Yeah, send it over." So he he he, he read it. I, I think he had a few notes. I, I, I changed changed you know changed the ending to become what it was now, and um, and then it really kind of went from there. Really. Um, so. Yeah, so so that that's that's the Austin connection. Um, so it really comes through fantastic question in Perry Lee, um, and and certainly without without having been to Fantastic Fest and without them, I, I I don't I don't think I would have done it because there'd be no reason for me just to kind of you know randomly go to Austin without knowing anyone. Um, so I can say it's hundred percent them. Um, and then and then Amanda, we with casting Red White and Blue was actually pretty tough. Noah Taylor was, was the first person we went to and he, he loved it. So that, that was very easy. And Mark Santo, I think we went to, you know, pretty much straight away because I'd, I'd loved him in one of his previous films and he was up for it. But casting the girl was, was really tough. And I think we, we actually, we spoke to three different girls um, who are all, I'd say, relatively well-known. What One's pretty well-known. The, the, the two the two others are probably less well-known now than they were then, but you know, one one had just done a her first um, Hollywood film and, and didn't want to you know risk it with you know some crazy indie film, and then <laughs> one one had done violence, no no one had done some nudity but didn't want to do it again, and then the other had done sex but she hadn't done violence and didn't want to do both, 
so, so in, in the end, we were literally a week before we were filming, and and and, and well, one of the, well, the guy who became the exec producer, one of the exec producers, Adam Goldwyn, was like, well, who's 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 also became my manager. He was like, well, what are you going to do if, if you if you can't cast if you don't cast this girl? And I, I said, well, we will. Said, yeah, but what if you don't? I said, well, we will. He said, yeah, but okay. <laughs> we were literally five days away from filming, and you've got anyone. Um, or, or you're a week away. So and I said, well, I don't know, we'll find someone. Uh, so he said, well, okay, why don't you do an open um, audition in LA? So in the end, me and, me and the producer thought this was a good idea. So we did that, and um, a, a woman called Dominique Passeran kind of did our casting, and, and I think we, she, she saw about 40, 40 girls um, and, and taped them all, and, and me and the producer watched them. We chose our top five. And, and, and in, in reality, it was down to, out of that top five, it, was, it felt like it was Amanda or, or another girl. So I, I then flew out, out to LA and, and the other girl just didn't quite seem right. And, and then, and then I, I met Amanda and Amanda was like, just, she, she understood the script. She asked the right questions. She, she'd seen one of my other films. Um, she, she just seemed like she had an, and, and she also seemed empathetic to, to the camera, sorry, to the character, which, which um, you know, it's such a tough character that, that you know, whoever's going to do it has to, has to believe, that, you know, in, in, in the goodness of that person, even though on, 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 on screen and on script, it's not necessarily there. So, um, you know, and, and, and so, so she had that real, really understanding, empathy, kind of mixture of vulnerability and strength and sexuality. So, so in the end, it, it, she, it, you know, she was really... She was the only one, really. So, um, so we cast her. She came out literally, you know, two days later, and um, we worked together. And she, she, you know, she was amazing, really fearless actress, fantastic actress, lovely person. Um, gave it her all, and, and as you know from watching the film, you know that there's some, there's some pretty tough, you know, there's some pretty, you know, well, there's there's full full on nudity, there's some violence. It's a, it's a very harrowing role. Um, for anyone to play, and she did it really fearlessly. So, so yeah, you know, so so we, again, we we became friends. You know, stayed in touch with her, and wonderful. I think she, she was very happy with how Red, White, and Blue came along, and, and kind of just went from there. Sure. Uh, just briefly, I also wanted to touch on uh, your segment in ABCs of Death, because I feel like it it establishes something that you're already establishing in your work, but um, because it's so concentrated. Um, I think it's kind of an important thing where you're really challenging the audience and you're taking this kind of really raw and unflinching look um, at something. Um, I mean, all of, I mean, most of the shorts, because, like I said, because they're concentrated, you're getting a lot very quickly. But I also mm. didn't feel like yours was exploitive at all or, you know, I mean, what what was it like kind of balancing tone in such a short amount of time with that? Well, well, that that was um, a film that you know, none, none of us really got much money. Well, frankly, any money for doing it. So, so, and so it was very much you know a, a love of the idea and, and, and you know a, a love of, of you know Tim and Ant, the producers and, and 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 love of the genre and wanting to be part of a bigger thing. So, um, so, so, but nonetheless, I still wanted to get something from myself. So, they so rather than you know pocket a thousand dollars, I thought fuck it. I'm going to go on holiday. So, um, <laughs> basically, my, my regular DP, Milton Cam, is, is from Suriname. 
which is a place in, although at the time he was living in um, um, New York, he, he's originally from Suriname, which is um, formerly Dutch Guyana. So it's it's, nor, it's in South America. It's north of Brazil. Sure. Okay. And, and um, you know, I, I, by that stage, I've been working with him for six or seven years. You know, we're, we're good friends. So again, I said, hey, you know, I've, I've you know, got this, this gig. You know, I was thinking about doing a short film here with the subject matter you need know, to think it would work and he was like yeah of course so basically pretty much the, the, the money that we got for that film um was spent between me and milton um going out there for a month and and, and shooting and, and and living and eating and all that kind of stuff and, and um but but the, the actual um you know subject matter itself was i i I'd come across um this crush phenomena in um i don't know why i guess online you know, in, and I think over at, at home in, in England, it was on, it was in a couple of the kind of tabloid papers. And I was just like, you know, what, what the fuck is this kind of thing? Um, <laughs> Appropriate response. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it was like, you know, what, what a crazy thing. And is this real? And, you know, and, and it was the first time in, in my life, that I, I, I think I'd really seen something that, that was, was being written about and talked about um, in, in, a, in a relatively mainstream kind of arena. But that that I'd never heard of before, and, and had not even imagined, or couldn't really imagine. So I, I thought, you know, what an interesting thing to explore. And, I, and actually, I I think either by then I I think I'd even either written a script about that whole phenomena, or, or I was in the process of writing one. I think I'd written one, to be honest. Um, and and so I, I kind of saw this as a bit of a you know a, a kind of test test run really of, of the, the feature movie and of course everyone who read the feature movie was like you know you, you can't you can't do a film like, like this <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was called um, it was called Crushed originally um, and then and I, I kind of put it on the back burner but it's still something that you know you've got little girl kitten and then then you know a slightly lawless kind of place and you know what what happens when when that all goes awry and, and then, then you know, the, the guy who's doing the, the crush videos and because the girl has lost her kitten he, he ends up kidnapping her and then he gets into another territory so it's, um but so so yeah i i thought it'd be a good research as much as anything um to go out to suriname and, and see you know could we then do this crush feature film that um and and but 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 beyond that, so you know, my kind of like like exasperation at seeing these crush movies and reading about it was was like, you know, why would anyone do that? You know, what what would motivate someone to do that? And, and so, you know, like a lot, lot lot of my characters, I, I I try and give a kind of empathy to the, the, the marginalised and, and to the, the slight, you know, you know, yeah, the marginalised in society, and, and and whilst never necessarily condoning their actions, at least try and explain why they did these things so, so with 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 this particular woman in this you know short film it was like well you know what on earth could motivate someone to do something like this you know as in crush a kitten um so i, I figured the, the only way you know that i could any in any way kind of rationalize that was actually for them to to try and offer you know their not even themselves a better life but actually their children a, a, a better life sure. so that, that's where the story came came about and um and, and the, the other thing that i was actually quite keen to do was was try and make a film where there's no dialogue um and and my, my first few films were very dialogue heavy and at some point 
I watched a few films, well, actually one in particular, where there was next to no dialogue. And you know, I'd, I'd always read that, you know, pure cinema is, is, is visual images without words. So I, I thought I'd try and do that. And even though it was, you know, only a five minute short, there's, there's actually quite a lot of story in there and introducing characters and events and setting up, you know, backgrounds and, and, and setting up, char- you know, yeah, kind of meetings and stuff. So it, it was actually as much as anything. It was it was a um, an interesting exercise in trying to you know to, to do you know a pure pure you know to tell a, a pure purely cinematic story. Wow, that's really kind of incredible. Um, so this is we're, we're moving into fashionista now. I I wonder um, just you know with the rest of your body of work obviously you know you're spending a lot of time talking about these characters who have been marginalized and empathizing with them um how did the genesis of the idea of fashionista kind of come about and you know how did you start to develop those characters yeah yeah well cut off my my stories you know very much come from like one idea um like you know the the the, um, you know, the, the undone well the, the un, well the non film cross movie for example it's like you know what you know, trying to you know at least you know expand on that um, with with um, with fashionista it was slightly um, slightly different to us and, and it, it was lots of little things forming the, the, the greater whole. Um, so I think I think basically after doing Johnny Francara, I, I just wanted to do like a, um, a, a, I don't know a more simple, simplistic film in a way. Um, and and so and, and but within that something which which is you know some kind of vaguely political commentary. So I, I ended up writing a film which actually was called Black Friday, and it was it was basically just about a man who who renounces all his uh all, all his worldly goods. Um, and and I I I wrote it and I showed it to a few people. And usually my film scripts people either go. Oh my god, this is amazing! Or oh my god, this is complete shit. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and and so I, I was actually fairly unused. Well, I, I was very unused to people going, "Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's all right." And, and and literally, you know, was, everyone was kind of giving it a C grade, um, kind of thing. And and so at some point, I was like, and I carried on with it for a while. And at some point, I was like, you know, I, I'm so un, unhappy with this because if, if people are saying it's okay now, you know, no matter how. Good the directing is it's never going to be like an amazing film so so in the end i was like okay i, I think it's time to go back to drawing board which i've never done with any, any other scripts really um so so then i started thinking what i really want to do and i started thinking about my you know myself as a director and stylizing stuff and, and um and so i was thinking well i, I still want to do you know something about well consumerism and, and anti-consumerism and then i, I knew it was, i wanted to set it in austin because i I wanted to, you know, again, work with Tim and, and Carrie and, and then the other people who I'd work with who live in Austin. There's, there's, there's an amazing co-producer um, guy who's a good friend called Paul Mouse. He's also a locations guy. Uh, and then Karen Holford, who, who casts Red, White, Blue and also casts Fashionista. You know, they're all people who, you know, good friends with and, and are really great at their jobs. So I wanted to go back there. So then I started thinking about Austin. Um... And then, and then I started thinking about, you know, the, you know, basically the, the consumers in there, what, what would people buy there? And Austin, it's not, it's not like New York where you go up to, you know, Fifth Avenue, or it's not like LA where you go to um, um, Radio Drive. Like, there aren't, I mean, there are a few kind of shopping malls and stuff, but there's, 
it's not quite. I, I've never seen as quite that same kind of thing. So, so in Austin, there's there's a lot of um, vintage toy shops, and there's actually less now than there were when when I went in 2006 or even 2010 with Red, White, Blue. Um, but you know, it, it's it's from my experience, always been a big part of the culture. And even though there's less now, it's still you know part of the culture. So then I then, then so then it all started falling into place, you know, and and then I, I was thinking, you know, the idea of making drug movie I kind of liked and again I but then I thought you know you know Requiem for a Dream the Christian F uh, films which which are on, done, done the drug thing you know as, as well as anyone's ever going to do them so you know, I, there's no point um, you know even trying to better that but you know what about doing a drug movie without drugs and, and then, then the addiction thing came so it all kind of you know and, and then I was thinking well clothes vintage clothes clothes shops consumerism consumerism and, and I, I, I guess I guess the kind of the, the final, um, well, the kind of final part of the formula came with the fact that I, I just I I'd done this film called Crowhurst, which Nicholas Rowe, exec produced, and and um, you know I went around to his house a few times, and we, you know we we spoke you know for a couple of hours each time, and then then he watched the film, and you know, he gave us some some advice and comments and stuff, and and. And again, that, that that was you know it was an amazing experience for me and a real career high. Um, and and I've always you know loved his films and I've always been like, oh my god, how does he do that? Sure. Um, and, and 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 you know I never asked him, you know, how do you make those films? But um, <laughs> but you know, just just listening to him and listening to some of the things he said, you know, um, I was thinking, well, if if I'm ever going to try you know a film like Nicholas Rowe. Then now is really the time to 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 make you know a, a non-linear film and 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 also when when I first um, before I first met him I was like shit I haven't seen any of his films even though I knew you know most of his films um, and 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 had seen you know a good few of them more than once I still like hadn't seen any for a good five or six years so then I was thinking shit you know what have, what have you asked me about in my of his films and I can't remember so so I, I watched a few of his films again before I met and, and then when we met he said well you actually you should watch cast away because it's it's you know it's a little, it has you know moments of, of, of how I think Krohus would have been so I watched that and and, and actually I'd never watched um, I never watched walk walkabout and then so I watched that and, and then so again I was you know, I was thinking about it and 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 the Crowhurst film that we ended up shooting, it, it's not it's not non-linear, but there's a few moments, few few small moments of non-linearity, which which the producers very much encouraged. Sure. So, um, so yeah, so after after all that, you know, and, um, I was like, fuck it, you know, the, the, now now is the time. So so I, I I took all those things together, and, and actually the other the other thing, um, and it's it's a smaller kind of part of the film, but I I went to Austin and. Um, I think it was 2014. We had a test screening of Johnny Frank Garrett, and and I hadn't been there since 2010 with Red, White, Blue, and and um, and, and and I I suddenly noticed, much like what's happening in London and pretty much every other main city, um, it was was you know there were more cranes, there was more traffic, there was more high rises, there was slightly more fancy restaurants, and I was like, fuck, you know, Austin's being being gentrified, um, and and so that was that was the kind of final puzzle. And, um, part of the puzzle, and, and, and in, in in the writing of the film, I, I very much saw um, um, the, the Randall character played by Eric Balfour as as the kind of 
manifestation of, of, of Austin's gentrification. So it's okay. interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's cool. <clears throat> because again, you know, when I went there originally, you know, it, it was all, you know, country and Western, it was punk, it was rockabilly, you know, a bit, bit of metal thrown in. And, and, and then, and then, and, and then at some point there was more, you know, a few more dance clubs and uh, electronic and stuff. So, um, so, so yeah, so it's really lots, you know, it was consume. Oh, and actually, actually, again, finally also, I, I thought at some point the, the the character in the original script that I wrote was male, and at some point, you know, doing films on on low budgets is hard at the best of times, and, and and casting casting them well is, is also hard. And I was just thinking, you know, you know what, what are we going to do? And then I then I thought, you know, why not, you know, why not work with Amanda again? She's an amazing actress. She's a great person. Um, I, I know she's, you know, she's as good, at, yeah, she's as good an actress as anyone out there. Um, so. You know, fuck it, why not? So, so I, I got in touch with her and said, you know, would you be interested in, in if, if I wrote a film for you? And she said, well, of course I would. So, so then, so basically, I was like, okay, fuck it. So, so then I, I, I wrote, you know, her character completely with her in mind, with all those other things. So yeah, it was, it was a quite a broad tapestry of, of things coming together to us. Absolutely. Um, so when you when you started out with uh, Fashionista, was your intention to make a horror movie? I don't know if how much you you know like to genre yourself, but it just seems to play with a lot of expectations of the genre. Like it's it's definitely has some some major horror moments, but I mean it also has a lot of empathetic characters and like drama in it. So yeah, I, I mean you know this this is a question I, I've had pretty much my well my my whole well <laughs> certainly since making the, the Living and the Dead, you know. Are, are my films horror, and you know, and, and it's on. I, I, it's been it's been really great for me because I've been very much embraced by you know something that the horror you know um, oh, yeah, community sure. and and, and um, you know the horror festivals and the horror press and stuff. So it's and and, and without them, you know, I you know I, I the, the films would have been you know certainly had a lot less support. Um, and and you know again, I've ever since my maths teacher at the age of twelve showed me. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I, I love those those kind of horror horror films and horror genres, and I love weird stuff. Um, and 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 I, I guess I, I guess you know within me there's always that. I, certainly with Living and Dead and, and Red White Blue, you know, the idea was to make disturbing films. You know, not scary films or creepy films, just straight out. I, I want to disturb the audience. Um, th- th- this was different. Um, you know, I I, I I I knew that there was. It was going to take. I wanted you know the audience to go on an intense emotional journey, um, which I, I I figure I did, and, and I think you know, the, the, the horror. You know, I think for me it's, it's always you know the, you know horror is is it's not it's not the, the monster chasing the victim down or it's not the you know the, the crazy guy with the axe. It, it's more about you know what you know what happens to people in, in real life, and, and that that to me is you know, the, the reality of. Of, of life and and that 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 is you know for me you know as horrific or, or often more horrific than a, a lot of things that we see is you know and and so so this you know I, I think you know I work within genre tropes you know and, and I was I was never really quite sure if it was you know if it was going to be considered a horror horror movie or not really and um, I I would still say it, it's very much on on a fringe of of what is considered to be a horror film but you know as I said I I work very much within those tropes of trying to you know make intense stuff and you know pushing pushing the characters and 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 again you know the, the whole thing with the with 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 a japanese couple you know again kind of pushing that as far as as i could but but i i want 
I wanted to make it not not you know because because we could have gone the next step and you know right, had right. had someone being killed, but in in, in my mind because I've, I've I've done you know some again some very disturbing things. I, I thought it'd be really easy just to take. I think it'd be more interesting to take one step back and and and, and leave it more open for the audience and and the interpretation as to is Randall genuinely a complete you know nutcase bad guy or actually is he just a guy who's maybe not the best communicator and who actually and, and this really is, is a game so again you know, that, that, that's maybe a few years ago I'd have gone fuck it let's, let's go down you know, the, the next step of horror but again I, I kind of pull back but you know, you know women in distress and all that kind of stuff is all you know that I suppose you know fairly you know t- t- typical or, or, or the norm for, for, for the genre sure um, one, you know you talked a lot about just how the story came about and the different elements that you were incorporating one of the things that you didn't mention um, that I'm curious about is the idea of identity and in, in a lot of different ways I mean there's obviously playing with without getting into too much of it there's uh, yeah. you know several characters who, who play with actual identity but then there's also this idea of finding identity in material possessions and obviously that comes from the consumerism part but did the, the identity aspect come out of the writing or did you have that knowledge going into it? No, it's, 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 it's a good question. I mean, to, to be honest, that, that came, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to do this this thing with 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 the Alex Essa character and the Amanda Fuller character. Um, and, and so that, that was always very much, you know, there from the beginning. Um, but I think the whole conceit of identity came really more off as I wrote it and, and, and as I was thinking about it afterwards and, and, and um, you know, Persona, the, the Bergman film, was is definitely one that um, you know the identity has, has messed around with a lot with, with a female character and 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 performance also you know to, to a point as well. One of the earlier Nicholas Rogue films, well actually the earliest one that he directed. Um, so, but yeah, you know, it, but yeah, as I say, you know, the, the, the whole thing of clothes and and her going from the, the, the vintage kind of you know kind of mash up you know. Kind of fifties punk, sixties, um, whatever, kind of chic to, to them, much more elegant, you know, in, in theory, contemporary clothing, sure. um, and, and 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 what that does to her, and then then her relationship with the accessor character. Yeah, and it, it's all, and, and you know, it's 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 all about self perception and stuff. But yeah, no, in all honesty, that that was something that came out really in the writing rather than rather than a specific idea going going into which, which everything else was fairly, you know, fairly. I, I I'd thought about and had considered, and this 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 came more, you know, as not not exactly as an afterthought, but it was more at some point as a hey, actually that this is a big part of the film, which we hadn't consciously, um, you know, achieve, uh, set out to achieve, but in the end, is very much part of it. Sure. Well, the, you know, just you talked about wanting that moment with Amanda and Alex going into the film, and when in that moment is realized in the film. Uh, I lost my mind. Uh, I was literally on my feet, and I just i I couldn't believe it. But it also was like then you just start to put all the pieces together, and you're like, oh my god, this is kind of brilliant. Um, yeah. And it was really great to see Amanda and Alex together again after one of my favorite films of the last few years, Starry Eyes. Um, what was it like working with Alex, and how did that come about? Yeah, she's amazing. You know, I I, I watched Starry Eyes like you know, like everyone else, and, and I thought she did a great job. And and to, to be honest, I, I have to say it's actually fairly it's a fairly straightforward answer that that my 
where my manager, who's also, who, well, who I was talking about earlier on, who was one of the exec producers on Red, White, Blue, and who also exec, was one of the exec producers on Fashionista, it's called Adam Goldworm. Um, he's a, he, he manages Alex, and he said, you know, you know, Alex would love to do this, what do you think? And I was like, you know, let, let me think about it. And then I was like, you know what, I, I thought she's great in Starry Eyes, let, let's, you know, let, let's talk. So we, we had a initial Skype meeting, you know, much like this, and I was like, yeah, okay, let, let's do it. And um, so, so that was all, and, and, and you know, I, I, I guess the only reason that I kind of faulted, well, kind of wasn't 100% sure straight away was I was thinking, do, do, do I want someone who looks more like Amanda, or do I, do I want someone who looks nothing like Amanda? Um, and, 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 and that was the only thing I was, I was really considering and you know at some point you know consider you know do do we actually want Amanda to play this character but figure that was just a bit too too straightforward and easy. So in the end, you know, so actually you know, yeah, let let's get someone who's completely different um, to how Amanda looks. Because I think, you know, much of these things, you know, life is about, you know, perception, it's about self perception. You know, I, I think, you know, we, we see ourselves in different ways that other people see us. And and and, and how, you know, how different do we see ourselves compared to how other people see us? And, and, and you know, we, we may think we're amazingly cool, or actually we think, may think we're complete geeks and, you know, other people. You know, and, and, and so, so th this, you know, this film is very much, you know, about the manifestation from that. And to be honest, you know, I, I, I won't claim that that was, I, I have to say I was, I was fairly inspired by um, um, Mulholland Drive, um, okay. which, you know, yeah, which you know that kind of thing happens, and 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 I, I wasn't so keen on Lost Highway when I first. In fact, when I first saw Lost Highway, when it kind of happens, I was like, I hate this film. Um, but <laughs> Drive was was a film that I, I kind of got back into literally because I was like, I fucking love this film, and I I, I love that and that that kind of you know the, those two characters and stuff. Um, so in the end, I thought you know actually having Alex. You know, to play with with Amanda was 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 um you know would would work very well and actually to be honest you know because Amanda, um, Amanda had worked with Alex and Starry Eyes uh, you know Amanda being a friend and respecting her her you know, judgment and opinion I, I did actually say you know if 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 we were to go with Alex you know would you would you be happy with that and she said hey no I love Alex she's great um love working with her so 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 I, I did you know. If, if Amanda had said no, I, I would have, you know, probably, you know, moved on. But I, I wanted Amanda to be comfortable with with that person as well. Um, but yeah, you know, and Alex was, was you know, complete trooper, fantastic to work with, um, lo lovely person, um, amazing at what she does, and um, yeah, you know, would, um, would 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 you know, hopefully we'll work um, work together again one day. Great. Um, you mentioned that you wrote uh, the the part basically for Amanda Fuller, and one of my um, one of my favorite aspects of the movie was the relationship with her and Ethan Embry, and kind of watching it. You know, it feels like a really a real relationship. It, it, it gets a lot of uh, you know like empathy. Um, did you have any idea you were you were going to use Ethan Embry when you were writing the movie, or did that come later? No, that that came later. So, so again, what happened? You know, I, I I wrote that role, and and then you know everything you know everything really in, in casting to a point evolved around uh, around Amanda because she was the first person. You know, well, I, I wrote I wrote April for Amanda. So so once she read the script, you know, she's like, yeah, great. And I, I did a bit more writing and said, okay, you know, you know, w I think we're, we're now ready to cast. And I was in Austin, and 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 so I I made you know I, I said to Amanda, you know, who who do you think? 
you know, do you have any people who you think, you know, you can get to or any friends and stuff? And, and then, then I said the same to my manager and I, I came up with a list and, and, and Ethan was on everyone's list. Um, so, so in the end, you know, and, and of course, Amanda was in um, Starry Eyes with him. And, and I think she's in literally, um, actually, I, I don't think she's in any scenes with him, but I, I think you know, they, they knew each other vaguely. And so she's like, yeah, I, I can, you know, I can send him an email. And so I, I don't know him that well, but, um, you know, I, I can send him an email. And, and, and I think, you know, in, in any kind of film, especially low budget films, I think the, the, the general kind of conceit is, you know, try to get to actors through personal sources. Do not go through their agency and do not, you know, so, so certainly do not go through their agency and try not to go through their managers if possible. Right. Um, um, and, and so, so yeah, so Amanda wrote to him saying, hey, you know, da 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 He came back very quickly and, and um, he read the script. I think he actually read the so so she sent him the script. And I think, you know, amazingly, he read it pretty much that afternoon. We, we spoke that evening and I think we had a, you know, a good one-hour conversation. And, and, and then the funny thing with Ethan is that as 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 a as a younger guy, he he pretty much done what um what, what the character in the film had done. You know, he he would go on road trips, buy you know go around vintage you know um vintage clothes stores, go around Salvation Army places, buying clothes, putting them in a, in a truck, and then coming home and, and selling them. So so and and added to that, he he loves Austin, and I think he's he's done quite a lot of filming in Austin. So um so he 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 loved the script. Um, he, he actually said he'd never read anything like it in his life, which is quite a, quite a, quite a compliment. Um, and, and so he, he wanted to just, you know, think about it for the weekend. And I think he was going back into, I think also, you know, very fortuitously, he, he had a, a window of opportunity that he was going into filming, uh, uh Grace, was it Will and Grace? Um, the, the Netflix series with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. So he literally had you know, a, a five or six week um, gap of, of opportunity in which he could do this. So I, I think he was, yeah, so he, 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 he kind of thought about it for the weekend. He watched Red, White and Blue and then he came back and said, yeah, let's, let's do it. So, um, and, and again, you know, it, it was, you know, he was, again, another amazing person to work with. He, he was, um, you know, everything you could, you know, want for from, from an actor. He was the loveliest guy. Um, and, and I think, I think what, what I really liked about working with him is, you know, having seen him in, you know, again, in, in Will and Grace and, and, and you know, Starry, uh, yeah, um, sorry, Cheap Thrills. And, you know, he, he play, he's actually very good at playing different characters. And quite often he's played slightly more geeky characters. But in real life, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a very toned guy. And he's, he's a real, at the time, you know, he's massively into exercise and, and stuff. So, so it was nice seeing him play much more of a kind of masculine masculine character but still with a you know with a real empathy um about him yeah. Uh, so yeah i know again you know, it was you know really exciting to work with him and, and, and again absolute pleasure to be honest um so kind of jumping ahead uh, what has the reception for the film been like for you uh, especially with uh, what I, I i kind of assume is a, a divisive ending for a lot of people i mean what is, what has what that yeah. feedback been like well well to be honest um it's Certainly, what we've read, the majority of it, of it has been generally overwhelmingly positive. And and, and again, you know, like like all my films, you know, we make them, or I, I make them, and, and go into the screenings thinking, I have no idea how you know people are going to react. And, and and much like with Red, White, and Blue, and actually with the, the Living Dead, the, the the end of this film is exactly the same. You know, certainly at film festivals, you know, 
me and maybe the producer or Amanda were standing in the wings, and the film ends, and there's this deathly silence. And you're like, oh, God. You know, and, <laughs> and so, you know, the films, you know, I do, aren't the films that people clap and go, yeah, and, you know, get, you know, kind of freak out at the end. Um, so, so you're never really sure. And, and um, but, but, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, some, some people get it more than others. And, and you know, I, th- I think we're under no illusions that it's not for everyone. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a confrontational film. It's a challenging film. It's a film that makes you think. It's a film that is, is del- deliberately not obvious. So with, with all those things in, in mind, I, I mean, I, I think I would say that the reaction has been amazing, amazingly positive. Because I, I, I really was, again, with all my films, I've never been quite sure. But with this, I'd probably be even less sure than the other films. Sure. So, um, so yeah, you know, you know, we, we've we've had a, you know we've had a few bad reviews, but to be honest, you know, I, I, we've had again, I would say ninety percent amazing reviews, um, and 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 as I said, you know, it's so not for everyone, and you know, I, I wouldn't expect it to be, but you know, I, I think also people have appreciated the acting. I think you know, almost without exception, everyone's gone. You know, Amanda, she's not good, she's amazing. Right. So that, yeah, that's definitely. And, and you know, I, I think you know people really appreciate Ethan and, and 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 Eric Balfour and Alex and stuff. So so yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's no, I mean, so so far it's been amazingly positive. And, and um, I, I guess you know, audience festival audiences, you know, maybe slightly more friendly t- towards these more challenging films because they're, they're generally more cine literate stuff um, than, than maybe your average person who's just come <laughs> home and sees a film called Fashionista and think it's about you know. Nice, nice girls, nice clothes, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I've been, yeah, no, I mean, ridiculously, you know, happy with the response, and, and even, even like everyone who, you know, watched it henceforth hated it, I'd still be like, well, that, that was, uh, no, I, I'm amazed, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, you know, grateful really in a way that, that people have got it and, and, and accept it for what it is, really, because as I said, it's not, it's not an obvious film, it's not an easy film, and it's, um, you know, so, so yeah, yeah, no, very, very good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm endlessly impressed by the film. Um, one of the other things that I'm endlessly impressed by and a little envious of, uh, as, as a filmmaker myself, and I just, like, I can't fathom this. I mean, you, your work ethic is insane. I mean, there was, you know, uh, Johnny Frank Garrett and Fashionista, and then you've got Crowhurst coming up and Once yeah. Upon a Time in London. How do yeah. you balance all of that? How do you keep working like that? And, yeah. I mean, obviously, from a, a filmmaking perspective, uh, have you proven yourself enough now to that the funding is a little bit easier to, to manage? Or, you know, like, is, is each film a different challenge for you? Yeah, good question. Well, um... Yeah, my, my girlfriend would say I probably don't manage it all very well at all. But <laughs> obviously, I would disagree vehemently. Um, yeah, no, I mean, to, to be honest, it's been it's been quite a quite a crazy ride, really, because um, I, I think from you know from Living and Dead to Red, White, and Blue was 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 pretty much four years, um, and I, I I did spend about two years on the festival circuit, um, and then I spent about a year kind of writing. So even that didn't seem like a long time stretch at the time, and then from Red, white, blue was to, to Johnny Frank Garrett was another four years, but I, I did do the ABCs of death and I did little, little deaths in between. So again, it wasn't you know it wasn't like you know nothing over four years. And, and then then from Johnny Frank Garrett, which was you know a, a, a generally pretty tough experience, and and in the end came out a lot better than it, than it was looking like it would do. 
um, but still wasn't a great experience. You know, fr from there, I've, I've really, from that point when I was close to actually giving up the whole thing, um, yeah, it's been been actually really non-stop. And um, no, so it's been an amazing four years, really. And and um, you know, I, I think really from you know, Fashionista Crowes and Once Upon a Time, that they're all films that I'm, you know, really happy with, really proud of. And um, um, and actually, I've, you know, it's been great working with all the producers because they, they've all essentially, you know, kind of let me do what I wanted to do, really, you know, which isn't to say that they haven't had comments and haven't, you know, had, had you know, um, um, you know, ways of, you know, changing the film and stuff. But, but they're, they're all films that I would say, much like Red, White, Blue and the Living Dead, that, you know, these are films that I set out to make and, and they're very much my films. And, you know, uh, and, you know, whether you like them or dislike them, they're like, this is what I wanted to make. So I'm very happy. Um, and in terms of, I, I, in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, what was quite interesting is after, after um, Johnny Frank Garrett, we, we got into South by Southwest and just before that, well, well just before we actually screened, I ended up sacking my agents um, <laughs> for various reasons. And, and, and I haven't, well, I, I've still got a manager, but I haven't bothered really looking for an agent. And, and, and the irony is that, you know, I, I've had an agent for many years and never really much happened. And then I, I have, and then I sacked my agents and pretty much been doing a film every year, every year. Since. <laughs> There's so, something to be said for that, I guess. Advice from Simon <laughs> Rumley, sack your agent. Um, and, you know, at some point I will definitely have an agent again. And I, I will look forward to having an agent and, and working with him or her. But, um, but you know, I, I think uh, I, I, I feel there's more people coming to me, you know, with with things they want me to do, and, and um, certainly the, the producers of uh, Once Upon a Time in, in London, you know, they're, they're great guys, and, and we all got on very well. And so there's definitely one, if not two, films that um, you know I want to do with them, you know, which we're talking about for doing next year. There's 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 a couple of other scripts which which um people have and again you know a couple of companies have said they're i suppose you know very interested um so as ever you know one never quite knows how, how you know how things progress but you know at, at the moment it's it's first time i've you know i've really you know felt that yeah i'm, I'm hoping things get a bit easier um in terms of financing and, and, and maybe even getting slightly bigger budgets but you know I, as, as ever it, it's such an unpredictable business and um, I, I, you know, as, as much as, you know, I, I think Fashionista has got great reviews, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's still a tough film. And I, I think your average producer, you know, is looking at stuff like that and thinking, what, what, you know, what the fuck, what are we, what are we going to do with, with that? Um, so, you know, so most, most producers aren't looking for more challenging, you know, directors or more challenging material. Um, but that, that said also, you know, starting with, um, once upon a time, you know, I, I think with, Fashionista, I've, I've I've gone as far structurally as I can at the moment in terms of you know just trying to challenge myself as much as the audience. So so having done that and and you know one one of the great things about doing Once Upon a Time in London was actually something I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, is, is actually a a, a a completely linear film. And again, Johnny Frank Garrett was, but I, I didn't really have any well I didn't have any control over the script, but. Once upon a time in London, I, I rewrote myself, and it's it's 100 percent A to Z linear movie. Um, so so it's it's really interesting to kind of you know, do that as as a new kind of challenge in a way. Um, so you know I, I hope with all these three films coming out, 
Um, both Crowhurst and Fashionista are meant to come out sometime end of this year, early next year. Um, and then, and then I, I'd imagine once upon a time will be sometime middle of, of next year. But yeah, you know, I, I'm hoping by the end, well, sometime, you know, well, sometime, you know, in the next few months, I've lined up my next one. But as, as ever, you know, as, as you guys know, it's such an unpredictable business that um, we, we will see. But yeah, no, I, I feel, I certainly feel, you know, positive about things at the moment. And I'm very proud of, of, of what I've done already. Well, Simon, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been really great, and and you know, obviously, we wish you the best of luck with both of the films coming up, and and with Fashionista, hopefully, you know, getting or reaching a wider audience by the end of the year. Um, you know, that it was just again, I can't say enough good things about it, and yeah, I really can't wait to see, uh, yeah. you know, more people interact with it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, no, well, my pleasure. I, I love talking, and you know, we'll, we'll talk again. Awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So for Bigger Show, this has been... Matt Miles. And I have been Mike D. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. We're gonna need a big show. We're gonna need a bigger, 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 bigger. We're gonna need a big show. We're gonna need a bigger show. With Mike, Kevin Guest's 